Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Leeds stun City, United get revenge on Spurs, Jesse Lingard is on fire and Jose Mourinho makes a claim for Father of the Year. I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast and I'm joined for this one by Matt Froelich. Good afternoon. And Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. So City lost, Spurs lost, Liverpool won, Solskjaer Mourinho made things really weird, (laughs) the Brendan Rodgers fraudometers out of storage. I've got a really good feeling about today's show, I think it could be peak podcast, you know what I mean? (laughs) Uh, there's only one, really one place to start, I guess, and that's at Tottenham Hotspur, where Man United came from behind to win 3-1 on Sunday. Uh, we'll begin with some frankly bizarre post-match quotes from the two managers. Uh, firstly, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, when asked about Son Heung-min's role in United's disallowed goal, said, We shouldn't be conned. I have to say, if my son stays down for three minutes and he needs his ten mates to help him up, he won't get any food. And then when he was asked about those comments, Jose Mourinho said, Sonny is very lucky his father is a better person than Oli. I'm a father. As a father, you always have to feed your kids. It doesn't matter what they do. If you have to steal to feed your kids, you steal. I'm very, very disappointed with me. Like we say in Portugal, bread is bread and cheese is cheese. So, Joel, there's a lot to unpack there. What do you make of all that? Uh, Mourinho lost the game, but do you think he won the moral high ground in the end? I mean, that's that's the, the results he really wants, really, isn't it? He yeah. wants to, you know, have the moral high ground. I mean, I, I'm not really sure two days later what to make of his bizarre comments, to be honest. I mean, all I keep thinking of is, you know, Jose sort of dressing up as Batman and standing on London Tower Bridge <laughs> and becoming fathers for justice, you know what I mean? And yeah. I think that's kind of the role he was born to play. Um, it's, it's a strange one. I, th- I think Jose loves to... You know, win the battles in the media. You ideally pre-match rather than post-match. And mm. but if he can, if he can get a dig in post-match as well, then you know he, he loves it. But the thing is, I, I guess, and maybe in, in a roundabout way, these comments he's sort of seen it as an opportunity to deflect from the deflect the attention away from the actual performance of his team, which you know for large parts of that game was not good enough um, on, on Sunday. And in, in a way, he has done, but. Like he usually does, he usually achieves in doing that. But at some point, that's gonna, you know, hit the skids and come back to haunt him a bit. I, I don't think it's done it enough this time. Yeah. Any theories on what he meant by bread is bread and cheese is cheese, Matt? Uh, I have no idea. I think he was just hungry. <laughs> he was obviously just thinking about his dinner because yeah. um, I just <laughs> I, I got so confused by it all. I didn't know whether I was watching kind of a post-match press conference or just another sort of. Bizarre episode of The Office. It was very sort of like, <laughs> it was just so weird to think about. Like you said, it really, it had the desired effect of making you think, what on earth is he talking about? And not thinking about the actual football match. Yeah, yeah I got sent the clip of, of Mourinho's bit and I, I was wondering if it was like one of those deep fakes or something, you know, when someone just sort of manipulated his mouth so and then yeah. just like done an impression of him. Yeah, so, so strange. Uh, let's talk about the football though. Let's talk about that disallowed goal first and foremost that United had. Uh, they thought they'd gone 1-0 up only for Edison Cavani's goal to be ruled out for Scott McTominay kind of flicking Son in the face, I guess you would say, if he, uh, as he moved past him. Uh, Solskjaer said afterwards the game's gone which is about the most Yadar thing it's possible to say. <laughs> um, what do you reckon, Matt? Has, has the game gone? No, that was such an overreaction to say the game's gone. I mean, it was a bad decision. I didn't think it was a foul, but yeah, that's a bit like... And that's also... That's the, the kind of... Um, the reaction you have is you kind of double down on a bad decision even when your team has won. Because it's kind of that sort of, you know how bad that decision is? We won 3-1 and I'm still mad about it. <laughs> yeah. so he's really like, 
you know, because if, if he'd have lost, you would have just said he's sour grapes. But he's really sort of using that moment to, to say the game's gone. But I don't think it has. It was, just wasn't a foul. Yeah. You agree with that, Joel? Thought it was a nonsense decision, that? Yeah, yeah, it was. The thing is, and the point's been made a couple of times since, is that by the fact they've given the foul now and ruled out that goal, it's it's given other players sort of, and, and they've had it for years anyway, but they've given players through to sort of, Overreact to little contacts like that because it was it was it was never an issue and and Son does play on it and and I guess it works for your team if you like you like it sometimes and if you know it doesn't you hate it but um it's now sort of giving players a sort of mandate to go and and, and do that and make the most of most contacts which I guess they've been doing for seasons anyway but yeah. this is probably the height of it to be honest because there's just nothing in it although Lazar Marcus should get sent off for something similar in the Champions League for Liverpool um a couple of years ago against Ball so um you know. It all that, comes round at some point, doesn't that it? That was pre-VAR as well, wasn't it? So, yeah. <laughs> it was. I mean, it's <laughs> Yeah. I mean, Everything I, just looks worse in slow-mo, though. That's the problem. Yeah, of course yeah. it does. Yeah. And that's certainly, I, I think it's stupid to disallow a goal for something that the referee saw no problem with in the first place. Um, I mean, they're giving decisions for, like, real sort of minutiae stuff like that, which seems really wrong to me when you see more obvious decisions being overlooked every week. It's just, it's just so... so broken mm. isn't it as as we're going to come on to as the show goes on um, but but as the game went on Spurs did go 1-0 up and of course it was Son who scored uh, Fred then equalised for United early in the second half and then Cavani did get his goal to put United 2-1 up uh, Joel how impressed have you been with Cavani at United and, and if you were in charge at Old Trafford would you be doing everything you could to keep him beyond the end of this season yeah I would I've been really impressed with him and you know, we'll hold my hands up at the start of the season and didn't really think it would would play out as well as it has done, um, mainly because of his age, and that's just being very simplistic and in, insane. In so, to be honest, but you know, he, he, he looked like he, you know coming at, at the age of years that has come to the twilight end of his career. But he's coming, and I, I would now say I don't think United work as a team so well if he's not in it because he is that sort of focal point that allows you know Fernandez to play off him, Rashford to make the runs, Dart runs from left into right in field. Um, and and then it's also he's still got you know although he hasn't got the you know, the pace he's never had loads of pace but he has had power and he has been able to get away from defenders you know with, with his legs you know on countless occasions in the past with Napoli and PSG but he's still got that movement and, and I think he's shown that with the disallow goal and um, the Pogba pass is great for that but he sort of darts away I think it is from Joe Roden and um, he darts away sort of just showed his quality and showed his nails that he's got but he's still got that power in his head and ability as well, because the head is great. It's just that that's just you look at any clips of um, Cavani at Napoli and, and Paris, and you, he he's done nothing. He is that's great, and and I think it's now he's at a situation where I don't think he will sign a new contract. And there's a lot of talk about him going to Boca Juniors or returning to Argentina in some way. Uh, sorry, going to Argentina in some way, and I think that's probably the next move for him. To be honest, is. is you know, heading to South America, and I, I think the, the, this all noise. There's no actual concrete to him just yet, but there's a lot of noise around it. And when there's a lot of noise around this kind of thing, there's usually something you know, no smoke without fire. And I just don't think that he's, you know, he's he, he probably thinks his body is going to go at some point. So he's trying to make that move before it, you know, shows shows him up on the big stage. But he's been great, and I, I think my United should do all they can to get him to stick around. But I think his mind may, may be made up. Yeah, well, there's a lot of noise about Harry Kane as well. A um, few reports even before this game, Matt, that uh, that he, he might want to leave Spurs if they don't get in the Champions League this mm. season, which now looks extremely unlikely, doesn't it? Um, what do you think of that? Do you think do you think he might go, and and do you think he could be a target for United, perhaps? 
Um, it's a tough one. I personally don't think he'll go purely because no team's going to want to pay what Spurs want. Um, and if you were going to pay what, what Spurs and Daniel Levy want, which is, you know, reported sort of upwards of 120, 130 million, you might as well go and get Haaland instead. Mm. Um, and on the flip side of this, I, I, I will say in sort of, um, if Kane says, oh, I want to leave and oh, this, that and the other, um, which, which club's going to want you, mate, if you keep, you know, putting in poor performances against the big teams? Um, if you're really not sort of stepping up at the clutch moments for Spurs, which Sean Son has done far more than Harry Kane has. Um, you know, if you're looking at signing Erling Haaland or Mbappe or wherever else, and then someone says, or... 130 million for a 28 year old with dodgy ankles who doesn't show up in the big games. You know, there's also that side of it. So I, I would, if I was Spurs, I'd lay down the gauntlet to Kane. I'd be like, mate, if you keep performing like that, we'll let you go. But good luck finding someone in the top 10 <laughs> yeah. and take you. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of thinking that as well. I mean, obviously, obviously Kane's quality, obviously, is an amazing. Yeah, player, yeah, they're not uh, disputing that. But uh, yeah, if I, if I was, uh, you know, a, a top top European club I'd be having a look at Son first and foremost I would say I think he I think he's yeah. got a bit more to his game and a bit more uh, longevity perhaps in his career than Kane has so uh, yeah it, it surprises me that there's not not more talk around him actually uh, Mason Greenwood rounded off the win with a goal to make it 3-1 to United late on uh, that means United have now picked up 25 points from losing positions this season which is the most in the league by far uh, they're on a 23 match unbeaten run away from home and if they win their game in hand they'll only be 8 points behind City I mean I don't think they're going to win the league this season Joel uh, even the eternal pessimist in me doesn't think that um, <laughs> but, but are you confident that United will be, be, will be in and around the title picture again next season? It's it's a strange one and a difficult one to answer now because I, I think there's going to be a, a lot of difference between you know, the end of May, the end of this season, and the start of next season. Because once you've got the Euros sort of in there as well, that'll play a thing on a lot of players in the division who are already overcooked and need a rest. But you've also now got a bit of a factor of the fans coming back, which looks like it's going to happen for the last two games of this season in the Premier League and Maybe by the start of next season, you could be looking at half the full capacities coming in. And, you know, let's see how much of an effect that will have on other teams in the division. Now, the thing is with United, if you've sort of taken them on sort of face value as a team that could potentially win the league, they deserve credit for being second now. And I don't think they're going to make it interesting enough this season. I do think, you know, City Saturday was just a slip up for them and, and they will still run away with it. But United. I still don't think Solskjaer is going to be the coach that will lead United back to where they want to be. Mm. But you can't now look at them and look at the past couple of seasons and, and say there hasn't been progress. Um, but the, the thing is, for me, I still think Chelsea, I've mentioned Chelsea in recent weeks as being the team I think will challenge Man City close next season. You still can't rule out Liverpool and whether, you know, they'll, you know, to get certain players back and, and they come back to sort of 70 to 90% of what they were, then, you know, like, like Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez, and Liverpool will still be right back up there, I think. Um, but we'll have to see how that plays out as well. If, if Liverpool and Chelsea sort of sort of come back to that quality that they showed, you know, the Liverpool showed earlier on the season and last season and Chelsea showed in recent weeks, that I still think those two teams are better than Man United and will get closer to Man City. But Man City is still in another level above every other team in that league. So 
I, I, st- I still think with United, I'm not sure what they need in terms to get there, whether it is another centre-back next to Harry Maguire, um, someone a bit quicker. And, um, but uh, there's still just some things about me, especially when it comes to play certain teams that play on you know, a low block and they, ha- they find it hard to break down. My United just don't have that sort of title winning now, some mentality right now, but they can get there. Um, I don't think it'll be under Solskjaer, but they are showing signs of progress and shouldn't be completely ruled out right now. Yeah, I don't think he's going to get them back to where they want to be, but I think he's sort of led them to the precipice of where they want to be, hasn't he? And uh, I suppose you have to he's he's done the groundwork for another manager, I'd say. Exactly, he's yeah, yeah. he's got rid of you know d- Deadwood, let's say, in, in certain players, and he's also brought young players in. And their academy to the first team has now got a clear sort of pathway uh, and development plan, like you know, Greenwood shown that, um, which they haven't had for a long time since Ferguson left. I, I say, and maybe first year at Van Hal. Um, and I think that's a big thing for Man United, but I, I think they still need someone else to come in be, uh, after Solskjaer that will maybe do the work for them. Mm. What about Spurs though, Matt? I mean, there was a, there was an interesting incident at the end of the game where it looked to me like Son appeared to pretty much blank Mourinho as he was coming off the pitch. <laughs> um, Son was, was devastated in his post-match interview. Um, do you feel like the players are still with Mourinho or, or are things getting a bit toxic behind the scenes? Um uh, it's difficult to know behind the scenes exactly kind of what's going on, but yeah, I could, I, I would, I would suggest that things aren't exactly right. Um, Toxic's probably the word to use. There's just, I feel like, and I, I've said it before, the thing with Pochettino is that he bought um, the group of players that he had. He all bought them through at the same time. You know, they were almost the same class or the same generation of. Um, Kane, Dyer, Eriksson, Ali, um, you know, Alderweireld, there was Lamella in there as well. These guys were all on the same path and the same trajectory. And now what's happened is that you've got a couple of youngsters who would stay and learn from Mourinho. You've got the big ones like Kane and Son, who would probably see this as their chance to leave. You've got players who are happy that they're in the team now with Mourinho, happy they're out of the team. There's too many people pulling in different directions. So I think whilst it may be toxic with Mourinho, I just think in general, there's so many different parts of the club that are pulling in different directions, even down to the fact that apparently Levy doesn't want to spend lots of money, but Mourinho wants a new defence. Um, but then he also wants to you know, allow some of the players to come through. So there's just the whole club's just being pulled apart in so many different directions. Um they, they, the club from the top really need to have a cut-off point and say, right, this is where this bit ends. This is the new chapter. This is how we're doing it. This is the style, the manager, the players. And yeah, it's going to take a pretty ballsy summer ahead for them to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, the, uh, the shock of the weekend took place at the Etihad where Manchester City were beaten 2-1 by a lead side who played the entire second half with 10 men on Saturday. Uh, Pep Guardiola came in for a bit of criticism for rotating his team for this game, but with, with Dortmund in the Champions League on Wednesday and then Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-final at the weekend, uh, do you think this was the perfect opportunity to rest a few players, Joel? Yeah, something had to give at some point, you know, with, with the international break and, you know, well, we say break, these, all these players, a lot of <laughs> yeah. his first team players still play two to three games over it. Um, so, you know, teams have had to have to make changes at some point and have to, you know, give players a rest. And whether that comes in the league or the FA Cup, that has to happen at some stage at any of this part of the season. And, and I think it looked on paper the ideal you know, moment to do it because, you know, Leeds at home, okay, Leeds have been great this season, but, you know, Man City can still throw a team out that can beat a team that's in the bottom half of the table, you know, or was at the week before the weekend. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I don't think he should, you know, get too much blame for that. I think what it does show is that 
even when you know when teams do tend to make five six changes into their team, you can see how the flow of the, of the, the starting eleven doesn't quite work or, or doesn't quite get up to speed in the first in the first half anyway. And even Man City with the you know the incredible depth of their squad that they have can still find that that issue because you know it didn't look right. Um, for a lot of the game, I still think they played well, well enough to to win the game. Created a lot more yeah. chance than Leeds did, but it just wasn't completely, you know, on, on points. Let's say, and, and I think that that goes to shows that you know rhythm and fluency is is the whole part of the team. So you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, Stuart Dallas put Leeds one 0 up in the first half, and, and a few minutes later, they had Liam Cooper sent off for a dangerous challenge on Gabriel Jesus. Any complaints about that decision for you, Matt? Uh, no, not really. No. Having watched it back, although I know he got the ball first, I thought he was unlucky. But it, 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 I, I, it, it, it just looked like he—I don't know—he wasn't really meant to make a tackle like that. Yeah, what exactly, was he yeah. thinking? Yeah. Mm. He sort of played the ball and gone through, and it is dangerous. But to me, I'm, I'm sort of like—is it serious enough to remove a player from the match? I don't—I don't feel like it is personally. I feel like there should be something but, else that you can do. There should be a, a sin bin or something, or. Just, there's just like a but, huge gulf between like a yellow card offence and a red card offence for me. I just think there was so much kind of... There was a lot of danger about it, though. That It wasn't like a tackle. Because the ball was in the air, you're not sort of going up with your studs like that. It, it, it's kind of you, you'd almost aim to kick the ball up instead of pushing it away like you do with a slide tackle on the floor. I just think it was... And especially because the law is, you know... Um, dangerous, a, a reckless abandon, I think, or being out of control. Um, it just seemed like just saying, oh, but he got the ball first. <laughs> it still seemed... Re- if you're landing a plane and you hit the runway and then overshoot it and end up in a field, you can't be like, oh, I got the tarmac first. <laughs> like the, <laughs> the, end, the end result is still pretty dangerous. Yeah. So, yeah, I actually agree with it. I think it was a red. What do you reckon, Joel? I love the the aviation chat that's um, <laughs> taking over the podcast. I'm a big guy could bring that back every week. Um, I it's I actually do think it was a red. And I, I, I take all your points that have been made there, but the, the thing is, and, and maybe it's a slow motion thing, but the angle that the, the referee can't completely see it from his point of view. But when you see the camera angle from sort of behind the goal, and it clo- you know sort of closes in on. On it, and and maybe it is slow motion. Let's say, but it does it does look bad, and it it does look like a potential leg breaker. But maybe every challenge where the defender gets the ball and then gets the man in slow motion looks like a leg breaker. I'm I'm not sure, but it it wasn't. It didn't strike to me as you know completely controversial to send them off. And if if he's putting Jesus's um you know career at risk let's say maybe that's being a bit too dramatic but if, if he's doing that I think, I think it deserves to be a red and you know I had no complaints on that to be honest yeah to me it just seems a little unfair that you can get sent off for something that was accidental really but uh, I suppose yeah. it affect Leeds they won anyway I mean they dug in they defended for their lives in that second half mm. um, the criticism that often gets levelled at Marcelo Bielsa is that his team can only play one way it's, it's basically all out attack or nothing but I guess this performance would suggest that isn't the case wouldn't it Joel? Yeah absolutely I, I know there's something in the Athletic yesterday where you know, this uh, Bielsa prepares to play with ten men for every game, and maybe every coach does now. Every team does, but they sort of he, he gives his players certain instructions to change their style when that happens, and um, rather than 
you know, going gunko like Leeds do, this this sort of withdraw and, and, and just play completely man to man, which is what the report said, and, and, and they did that, and it works to affection. And, and, and the thing is, Leeds are going to have to develop as you know as the time the Premier League continues because teams will have going to next season. Teams will have more data on Leeds and, and know how to prepare for them a bit better than they were this season. They have sort of caught um, oppositions off guard this year because of the way they play and maybe, you know, despite, you know, everyone knows they played that way in the Championship, but they still weren't prepared for it, let's say. Mm. And I, but I think this year, next year they will have more data to sort of be able to you know, complement that and, and Leeds are going to sort of develop and, and that's not to say completely change your style and, and go against what's worked from so well so far, but they're going to have to sort of Change the, the way they think in certain games where the gas go overcome different objectives and, and and they proved that on 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 Saturday that they can do it because that was a complete perfect away performance from a from a team that's just been newly promoted going against a team that's better than them. Mm. Well, perfect performance. Let's see about that because Ian Wright described <laughs> it as a defensive masterclass. You, you alluded to it earlier, Joel. City had twenty nine shots, seven on target. <laughs> they scored one goal. The xG was two point two four. I mean, obviously the scoreline is the only stat that ultimately matters, but. Do those numbers suggest that Leeds were perhaps a little bit lucky that City's finishing wasn't on point in this game? Yeah, I don't know how you can have a defensive masterclass but allow the opposition 29 shots. <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> I mean, some, bit, of, some of them were pop extreme. shots from range, to be fair, but yeah. It, okay, yeah, was, even so. A few, a few chances. I mean, even at 0 0, City had some chances to, to score them. Yeah. They fluffed, yeah. Sorry, Ian, I don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's one of those, like, um, I, I, there was a lot of City fans really disappointed with this, this result and. I think people often read quite an awful lot into the result of the game and don't really look at how the game actually played out. I mean, everyone was saying that it was a bad decision for Guardiola to, to sort of rotate before the game. But, you know, if they take some of those chances, they win the game and no one complains, do they? Everyone just goes, oh, what a great idea it was. We've got fully fresh players for the Champions League now. So... Yeah, I think I think people read read a bit too much into the scoreline mm. sometimes. Um, one City player who was particularly profligate in front of goal was Raheem Sterling. Um, he hasn't had a great season at all, all things considered, by his standards. Um, Joel, do you think he should be a bit worried about his England spot for the Euros yet? I mean, there's talk of Jaden Sancho being left behind, but you know, on the the way things are going, I would say maybe Sterling should be should be sitting at home watching the tournament this summer. I think what sort of saves him is that. And Gareth Southgate loves him and yeah. completely trusts him. And like, well, you know, I, I don't see a situation where Sterling doesn't start because Southgate, every time he's had a chance to throw Raheem Sterling in, he, he does. Um, and I, I just, I, I think Raheem Sterling's going to have to have a complete drop off for, for that, you know, for him not to start that first game at Euros. And, and maybe he's on his way to doing so. He, he's not been as effective as, as recent seasons this year. Um, a lot of players haven't know because, and, and maybe you know, the situation around the pandemic comes into that. And you know, maybe Raheem Sterling's played too much football in the past four or five seasons, um, and, and maybe that's what we're seeing. Maybe we're seeing the start of maybe burn out a bit, and, and hopefully that isn't the case because he's incredible to watch on his day. Um, and I still think he's chipped in with a you know fair few you know, goals and assists, but uh, he did an interview over the weekend, and maybe even yesterday, where he did say he's not completely happy with what he's. Yeah. Achieve this season, so so he knows. But I don't think his England England place will you know be threatened. Um, but you know the, the thing is, if he completely flunks it from now until the end of the season, the last seven games, you never know. But I, I, I know I think he'd be all right. Why do you think it is that he's sort of in a head in a way fallen off a cliff? I don't know really. I think it's just the standards have been quite high at City in the past few months, so it's sort of easy to to look 
uh, pretty poor compared to you know some of the other players that are performing at a really high level. I mean, he, mm. he's still City's second highest goal scorer, but that just sort of tells you that we've not really had a, an out-and-out goal scorer this season uh, to me. And I, and I guess the, the reason I would sort of say that his England uh, place might be under threat is you know with all the talk around Alexander Arnold and has Southgate made a, a bit of a rod for his own back by making it look like he will only pick players on form, and if he starts picking players who are out of form, it looks a bit hypocritical doesn't it I guess but uh, yeah I agree with you I think he will go on the basis that he's, he's he's probably considered one of the sort of more senior players at England isn't he um, mm. more so than San- Sancho but uh, yeah I'd like to like to think that he will he will get get some form together before the end of the season because he's been a bit frustrating so far and I, I don't think he gets into City's uh, in, into City's first 11 at this this moment in time um, start of the weekend courtesy of Tom Warville uh, he says John Stones carried the ball 698 metres into the opposition half against Leeds which is more than any other player in a Premier League game this season I don't know if you watched the game but it was really weird the way he was uh, just kind of like bombing forward the IR Torre-esque um, but Matt do you think uh, do you think Stones should have taken one for the team and hacked Dallas down at the end instead of letting him go through and score the winner um, potentially yeah but what I found really weird is um Edison rushed far too far off his line. <laughs> the, uh, he, it's one of these weird situations that once you see it, you know something's weird. Um, if Edison doesn't rush off his line, right, and he's miles back, he doesn't force Dallas to take on the shot because the shot is, is weak. You know, he's rolled it from about edge of the box. Um, and I think John Stones is on his heels. And if Edison sort of stays closer towards his line, he forces Dallas to take another touch or John Stones catches him or he cuts back. I think being so far out was such a weird situation because if he just shoots like that normally, Edison gets down on his hands and knees and scoops up easily. Um, So I thought it was very, very odd. I thought Stones had it covered and there was another player running back as well. Um, Is it really worth it to to miss a game? I'm not quite sure who Manchester City have got next up. Um, Aston Villa is the next But in, in the long run... No, just one loss here isn't going to stop him from winning the title. So I don't think he needed to be so rash. Yeah, he was obviously right. hoping that Edison would save it. <laughs> he was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Liverpool finally got their first Premier League win at Anfield in 2021 when they beat Aston Villa 2-1 on Saturday. <laughs> uh, Mo Salah's equaliser in the second half was his side's first Premier League goal at Anfield for 12 hours and 44 minutes. Um, but before that, Roberto Firmino had had a goal chalked off for a controversial offside. Uh, what were your thoughts on that one, Joel? Are you still tearing your hair out of these decisions or are you just kind of used to it by now? Oh, I was at half-time on, on Saturday. It was, um, it was it was heavy, let's say. Um, it was really difficult to watch. But the, the thing is, that we know, we've spoke about VAR a lot on this podcast in the past and I, I mean, a lot of podcasts have done so and I don't think we're ever going to find the answer. And and, and the, the thing is, that I sort of come to this conclusion last night, I know, I know we'll talk about you know, West Brom, the West Brom game, you know, a little bit later on, but they've all sort of blended into one this weekend because it's been loads of these sort of like offside lines decisions that have just been so close and, and so tight and, and so, so pointless in a way because the judging by sort of, you know, arm sleeves, that kind of thing. I know that's meant to be the, the law and the rule, but that, that's just, it just seems really nitpicky. And the, the thing, the situation we've got ourselves into now is that. You you can't. I still think there's a place for VAR in the future of football, but the way it's being implemented in the Premier League and by the Premier League referees at the moment, 
isn't working. Um, and and I, and I do think you know the, the referees need need some help with that in terms of need to get better referees and, and bring them up better and train them better. But you know we've also said in the past how hard it is to do that and and how hard it is to sort of appeal to, to you know young men and women to become referees now because they used to get. But the, the thing is now you've got to sit yourself in a situation where you need better referees to you know run the AR and, and implement it better. Or and and that's how you make VAR better. But the, the the thing is, that's a long way off. So the easiest thing right now is to sort of just get rid of it. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and, they're not going to do back. that, though, are they? They're not going to do that. No, they're not going to do it. But that's the easiest way to, to sort of get over this problem that we've got. And 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 they're not. They've opened Pandora's box. It's all out there. You know, <laughs> the milk's on the floor, and you're going to have to try and clean it. And and, and yeah. I don't see what other way there is around getting around this app right now. We're just stuck with it. Yeah. And it's it really is starting to ruin the enjoyment of the game, isn't well, it? If it's not done so already. Yeah, that's where I'm at with it now, though. I think they're not going to get rid of it as much as I would like them to at this point because that would be the easiest thing to do. It's not going to happen. So I think we just kind nope. of have to accept this. It's, it's part of the game. In, in the way that we accepted in the past that players often got away with being miles offside because the linesman didn't spot it. Now you can you can't get away with being millimeters offside. It's just the kind of the reverse of that, isn't it? I guess really, um, and you would imagine that the technology is going to improve at some point. Who knows when that will be? So I guess we just have to kind of ride it out and, and accept that we're part of a process towards it hopefully being perfect in the future. But you know, for the time being, it's going to be very imperfect, and we're going to see. I mean, to be honest with you, when I saw when I saw the first replay before they even got the lines out of that Liverpool one, I thought he looked a bit offside. So even that's even that one where we say, oh, uh, maybe the maybe the ref should be just allowed to uh, not not bother with these lines and just do it on the eye test. To me, that one looked a little bit offside. So what well, you see that you sort of refer to the eye test there, and mm. and, and and maybe the the issue here isn't maybe with VAR, maybe it's with the actual offside roar, and 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 maybe that's where people are getting their sort of issues from. And that, that's what that's what annoyed me because. You know, it is saying from the bottom of the arm sleeve, isn't it? Downwards is is offside. But if Diego Jota scored with his elbow, I doubt that gets given. Um, so so maybe they need to sort of change the offside law back in terms of it being, you know, certain body parts. I mean, that's where they sort of there needs to be some kind of compromise there, rather than you know these remedial offside. They need to make it a bit more clearer because right now that. That to me, I could argue some blue in the face about that not being offside, and <laughs> but, and, and and just that doesn't seem fair. I, I can accept when it's clearly offside or where the, the linesman sort of got it really spot on because he's got eyes of the eagle. But when, when you get these lines out at the you know at the moment, it just seems like they're, they're trying their best not to give goals. And and they did again. They did that with the West Brom game last night. There was there was more evidence for it being onside and offside, but they, and they decided not to give it. And it just feels like. They're enjoying being pricks at the moment, <laughs> which I'm not sure is the case, but it feels like it. <laughs> well, here's a compromise: keep VAR, get rid of the offside rule, just abolish offsides, just let people <laughs> do work, go wherever they want. It's like watching me if I have sides. Be fair, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, anyway, enough about VAR for now. Uh, the winning goal <laughs> was a sublime strike from Trent Alexander-Arnold right at the death. Uh, last week he was back, then he had a bad game against Real Madrid. Now he's back again. Uh, Matt, do you think? Do you think this England narrative that's been created around him has it's just been a bit unhelpful, really? Well, I mean, every bit of media nonsense is unhelpful. Yeah. <laughs> if nobody spoke about him, I'm sure everything will be fine. Um, but yeah, I don't really think. Um, I don't really think it's kind of helpful or not helpful. It's just only increased the intensity with which people watch him. He's had bad games this season. He's had good games. 
it's just kind of it's played unfortunately into the storyline of what's going on at the moment um especially with Southgate watching too um <laughs> but I still think he's, he's still a quality player yeah. if you're a football fan and you see one poor game and just thought you know what get him out of the squad then you know it's you're a bit too reactive but no um, but yeah, sorry. Every, everything the media does is unhelpful. <laughs> Do you think Liverpool might might have made it a little bit difficult as well, though? Because because they kind of like briefed um, some people in the media about how unhappy they were about the decision for him to be left out of the squad, and uh, Klopp was asked about it, and he made a sort of hyperbolous comment about um, what do they say? It's like dropping Messi or something like that. Do you think maybe they could have been a bit sort of cooler about it? And uh, yeah, yeah, made it, made it a bit easier. Absolutely. Because if you flip the conversation round, and one of them. You know, uh, and let's say Southgate said, "Oh my God, I can't believe you dropped Salah, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, for Origi this weekend." Klopp would be like, "What are you on about? Just mind your own business." Yeah, yeah. Like it'd be weird if if he started making comments. So yeah, it's um, it's got nothing to do with Klopp, to be honest. <laughs> uh, Joel, what did you make of Sadio Mane dropping to the bench for this game? He's got just one goal in his last nine appearances now, and he missed a a pretty good chance to score at the end of this game. Do you think he's uh, he's lacking a bit of confidence at the moment? I think confidence is the main factor. Um, I, you know, him being dropped to the bench has been coming. Um, for his happen on his birthday, it's maybe a bit harsh, but uh, <laughs> what, can, what can you do? Um, I, you know, I wrote something last week about how he's maybe starting to become a bit of a problem for Liverpool. Um, and that's, I think it's mainly because he's played, again, a lot of football in recent years. And I think what we're seeing, you know, is, is a bit of burnout. Um, and he just looks like sort of, you know, when you, you're playing FIFA and, and you've been smashing the sprint button for 70 minutes and your players <laughs> ju- ju- are all on low red bars for the past 20, last 20 minutes. He, he looks like that. It looks like, he, he, you know, he's not had that little burst of pace to beat a player. He's, he's not done that for a long time. And, I, you know, I think... That that sort of his fitness and physicality sort of been hampered in recent months, and maybe now he's got to the stage where his confidence completely shot because he's not been able to do what you know is you know what he's been able to do the past couple of seasons, and and I think you know he should have a summer off now because the African Cup of Nations, as it stands, is still being played in October, mm. um, and, and that might change. But so I, I, he more than anyone else uh, in that Liverpool team, him and Salah should get the summer off, so he should be able to sort of. You know, catch up on you know have a bit of rest and you know, maybe get a month off there where you can sort of get back to you know recharge batteries. But as an Arsenal fan pointed out to me in you know last week after the Real Madrid game where he was you know he was poor that he sort of looks like the beginning of the end of Alexis Sanchez at Arsenal where oh, God. his place is completely shot and his yeah. abilities are hampered by it. And I am sort of worried that could be the case, but. Again, we'll have to see sort of start of next season where where Manny is, and, and and hopefully this has just been a bad campaign where the last couple of years and the intensity of it has just caused up of him. Okay, I've got a, I've got an interesting would you would you rather question for you now. So would you rather Liverpool got knocked out of the Champions League this week if it meant they were guaranteed to finish top four, or would you rather stay in the Champions League but have no guarantee of being in it again next season? Oh, that's horrible. That. <laughs> My initial reaction then was. Um, take the top four because I'd rather be there when win the Champions League and, I, and have the night out and, and right now I, you know, I don't think we're going to be able to get past nine o'clock outside <laughs> our houses so, uh, so maybe not but no I can never turn down the chance to try and win the European Cup you know what I mean so I'll, I'll take I'll, you know, I'll take the, the win the Champions League I guarantee we'll take that yeah because if you, if you did go to the Champions League this week your season is kind of over then isn't it whether you're Finish top four. I know not not literally, but 
you know, in terms of things actually yeah. being interesting, it would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, of, course, of, course, of course, Liverpool have thrown themselves right back into the top four race now, and yeah. I, I still don't think they've got enough about them to, to either win the European Cup or get top four. You know, I think there's just too many issues, that, you know, at the back and with certain players being off form for them to do either of them but if you know they've now made themselves interesting and fair play to them because it looked completely dead you know, four weeks ago didn't it but the back the back in the race for both now and you know let's see what Wednesday brings uh, just a quick point on Villa Matt uh, Ross Barkley came off the bench uh, on this for this game and he just seemed to get in the way to me <laughs> there was a point actually at 1-1 right at the end where Villa had a bit of a chance of a break and he just messed it up so badly um, we, we, were, we were quick to praise him earlier in the season but are you starting to feel like he maybe duped us with his good form when he first joined Villa um, I just think it's typical Ross Barkley I just think there's such a good player in there but yeah. consistency wise he just cannot get it whichever club he's at and it's really it's really just sort of typical of him to to have everyone on board you know in the first few weeks of the season and think you know what if he keeps this up he's in a run for Europe um sorry for Europe for the Euro squad and then to by the end of the season get to the point where even Villa don't want to keep him permanently <laughs> yeah. so yeah it sort of sums him up really unfortunately because you know that there's a good player in there yeah yeah, you think you think with Grealish being out that he would have been the one to step up and really fill that spot, wouldn't you? But he's uh, yeah, yeah, seems to have tailed off again, which is a uh, bit of leaves him in a bit of limbo because I don't think Chelsea really want him back, do they? Uh, speaking of Chelsea, no. they bounced back from their shock defeat to West Brom last weekend by battering Crystal Palace four one on Saturday. Uh, Joel, do you think this game will be remembered as the day Kai Havertz truly arrived in the Premier League? I would think so, actually. Yeah, because he was incredible. Um, you know, his, his finish, his quality, um, his completely, you know, height of composure in the box. He made, made it look really easy and look like he slowed down time. There's also a little sort of little, I think just after that, a little flick over one of the defender's heads and he just he gets his shot blocked. But... Gascoigne-esque. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we saw the dentist's chair afterwards. That went great, wasn't <laughs> so it? Good. But, but the, the, the thing is with, with Havertz, you know, we, 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 you know, we've heard in Germany about he's sort of, you know the the future of you know, the German national side, and you know, he's not been able to show it this season so far for Chelsea. And I think now he, he's been benefiting from having you know Thomas Tuchel there, who completely looks like he completely trusts him. Um, he's playing him in a, a false nine position, which you know has, the fingers of have a team at Leverkusen in the past couple of years. He's been floating around, sort of playing off the right, playing behind you know number ten and, and playing up front and. So no one really knows where his actual best position was, but it looks like Tuckle's got an idea where that is now. Um, and I think he's really benefiting from having that sort of trust in him. And I think, you know, I, th- I think you've got to forget the transfer fees and, and, and with any player, to be honest, they're all ridiculous. But, yeah. you know, he, he's been getting judged by how much he's cost. And he's not been showing anywhere near that sort of value this, this year. But I think... You know, if we're sitting here next April, I think we'll be talking about Havertz maybe being in the sort of question for, you know, team of the year, whatever. Maybe not so far, but I think we are going to see the best of him over the next 18 months. Yeah, what about Christian Pulisic, Matt? I mean, he it seems like he sometimes gets forgotten about when we talk about Chelsea's attacking options and he scored a brilliant goal here. Uh, do you think he should, he should play a bit more? Yeah, he definitely should. I think, um, like we were talking about Ross Barkley with consistency, it's just whether he consistently gets into the team. And I think when you're a squad like Chelsea with so much attacking talent and the fact that they're going to be, as you said, the FA Cup semi-finals, the Champions League, pushing for the top four, it would almost be criminal for Tuchel to be like, 
no, you know what? We just need some consistency out of Pulisic. I'm going to play him every single game. <laughs> People will be crying out for, um, for you know, Guardiola-esque, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Changing uh, changes. Mm. And, you know, it, it, it seems like it's not really the, the done thing nowadays. I'm trying to think of a of a manager apart from when Klopp had his settle with Liverpool 11 who who doesn't who doesn't switch so much I'm yeah. trying to think you know every manager these days is well aware that they're fighting on three or four fronts and that they need to continuously rest and chop and change the starting lineup and I think for some players it's not really helpful and, and Pulisic is one of them because when he does play well, like you saw at the weekend and quite recently as well. He's brilliant. I think he's such so, so, such a good player. Mm, yeah, I think I think we all get sucked into that a bit, don't we? Uh, you know, this, this week have a some Pulisic a sort of flavour of the month and, and next week it might be Ziyech again, you know. Uh, Timo yeah, exactly. scores a goal and we're suddenly going, oh, shouldn't, shouldn't he be playing more often? You know, where, where's, his, where's his position? So, yeah, I think uh, I think Thomas Tuchel knows a bit better than us what's, uh, what, what to do with yeah. his players, isn't it? So we'll, we'll just leave him to it, shall we? Yeah. Uh, Crystal Palace have been a Premier League club for nine consecutive seasons now, assuming they stay up this year. But has, has complacency set in a bit for them, do you think, Joel? And, and do you think um, with their next managerial appointment, in, if indeed they do make one in the summer, they should perhaps think outside the box a little bit? I mean, we were talking on the podcast last week about Sean Dyche maybe being the next manager there but the more I think about that the more I think that would be a terrible idea for them really <laughs> <laughs> um, well you say that but then last time they thought outside the box they you know hired Frank De Boer and then um, sacked yeah, him for four games yeah God, yeah. but yeah. I, I do I do think Palace fans should be expecting better because um, look at the talent they've got on the pitch they, they clearly should be a top half a top half team should I say um, you know, the likes of Sahar as a and, and then you know, Mateta is coming from Mainz uh, in January, which you know, seen score, you know, scored a great goal against Brighton, and then hasn't really been able to do much since. So hasn't really been seen that much since either. Um, and I think you know these are all talented footballers, and I think it all boils down to the manager, who you know, okay, it sounds like I've got a vendetta against him, and that is true. Um, <laughs> but he's he's a guy who can get you know will keep you up and um, will get you enough points to keep you in a division, but will never do anything else. Will never do any much more. And and I think you know Palace fans are happy with that, and that's absolutely okay. But the football is turgid to watch but again they get the res- enough results to keep them in and not to get drawn into the, the relegation dogfights when it gets to sort of match day 36 onwards and um, so they're always going to be comfortable you know staying up but right now they need to consider you know in the summer you know where's that next step do, do they want to sort of be pushing for the top half because they've got the players to do it they just maybe need a manager who can unlock their abilities a bit more and you know, let's see where that is you know Sean Dyche I think they've got credit for what he's done at Burnley, but is he just sort of another sort of version of Hodgson in terms of, you know, they will be sticking between 13th to 16th, and that's as as much as it'll ever as good as it'll ever get. Um, so let's see. I, I think you do need to think outside the box. Just maybe stay away from Frank the Ball this time. <laughs> yeah. Well, ten wins, eight draws, thirteen defeats. That's your Roy Hodgson algorithm update. Right it's now. all it's going to plan, mate. It, it is, isn't it? Plan. It's all going to plan. Yeah. Uh, well, West Ham, it's all going to plan for them because they're still fourth after a three-two win over Leicester City on Sunday. Uh, two more goals from Jesse Lingard here. Matt, do you think this is just a purple patch from him, or is he a misunderstood genius? Um, <laughs> misunderstood genius might be a bit much, um, <laughs> but. I just kind of, someone made a really interesting point. I was reading an article during the week. It said, it's just what happens when you give a player a bit of confidence and a run in the team. 
Like he ne- he didn't have that Manchester United since the season leading up to the World Cup, where uh, he had a pretty good campaign. And I guess his story shouldn't be so unique. I bet you'd find with quite a lot of players across Europe that if you took a little bit of pressure off them, gave them a run in the team and a bit of confidence, then you'd probably find there's a whole load of great players out there um, who are ready to sort of produce this sort of form. Having said that, it is still a very strong purple patch. I mean, if he keeps us up for a whole season and finishes and, you know, 20-odd goals, then (laughs) then we're taking him into a new... uh, uh, echelon of player um but yeah look it's a very good uh a patch of form for him yeah whether it's enough for united to keep him that's the question because if you're yeah. gonna sell him now's the point to sell him in terms of how much he's worth but then if he's actually doing that good then do united take him back it's a uh, it's quite an interesting sort of summer for him but at the moment, he can do no more than he's doing. Yeah, if I was him, I would be doing everything in my power to get away from United permanently this summer because I just don't think there is a future for him now. And I think he's shown what mm. he can do at a club where there's perhaps a bit less competition for places. And if he goes yeah, to where he's going to sure. play regularly like this, I mean, what is it, eight goals um, since he joined West Ham? Yeah. More, more than no, ever no other player has scored more. There you go. What a signing. What a signing. Uh, West Ham have got seven games left. They play Chelsea away and Everton at home, but the other five games look very winnable indeed. Um, do you fancy them to actually do it and finish top four, Joel, at this point? I mean, even Everton at home is a winnable game, to be honest, so I think they might be all right. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think he can rule them out now. Um, you know, all season, you know, a lot of us have sort of said, you know, at some point West Ham are going to tail off, and um, it is just sort of... Um, you know, morale, team morale can only get you so far and the injuries they've had, you know, will come back to haunt them, but they just sort of shake off anything that comes against them. Um, you know, they've you know, missing Mikel Antonio for a lot of the season and not had a, a you know, replacement. Um, and they've been all right. You know, Lingard stepped up and Jared Bowen stepped up at, you know, certain games as well. And and then, you know, you look at Declan Rice getting, you know, being ruled out for a month and then you're going, okay, we're playing less at the weekend. You know, without Rice, surely it's all going to, you know, tail off now. And, you know, it doesn't, they, they play well without him. And, you know, maybe the injuries will come back to bite them at some point over the next seven games. But I'm not sure. I think they deserve to be considered contenders, deserve to be in, in, in the question. And they, they, more than anyone else, I think, um, apart from, you know, let's say Chelsea, I think will end up getting third quite comfortably. If, if you sort of bring West Ham down with Leicester, Spurs, Liverpool and Everton, and, you know, in, in the challenge, you know, the contenders of the top four, more than anything else, they, they've got momentum and they've got good form and they've proven it over you know, longer periods of the season more than any of those other teams in question. Um, that's maybe a bit harsh on Leicester, but, it looks like they're starting to sort of fizzle out a little bit and, and if they should be worried. And I think with West Ham, they're getting momentum at the right time. And I think I think yeah, I think they might do it. I wouldn't be surprised if they do it now, to be honest. Mm. Well, if they'd won that game against Arsenal the other week when they were 3-0 up, they'd be third by now. So I wonder if that's going to be the one that they'll look back on with a, with a bit of regret. Um, I hope not, for their sake. Um, Matt, it's time to ask the question that's on everyone's lips. Is Brendan Rodgers a fraud? And, <laughs> and are Leicester going to bottle top four again? I mean, they've got Man United, Chelsea and Tottenham in their last three games of the season. So pretty tricky running that one, isn't it? Oh, I mean... They're going to win one of those at least, and I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you guess which one they're going to win. Um, I, I really don't know now because he's almost overachieving 
at the start of the season and during the middle bit of the season to to, to cover up the underachieving he'll do at the end. <laughs> He's, he's sort of just balancing himself out instead of being, you know, just a good manager all the way through. He overdoes his genius to cover up the fraud that's coming later on. <laughs> so I don't, I don't actually know. I think they might end up bottling it, but it might not be entirely their fault. Mm. Um, I think where they are at the moment is partly down to how good they are, but partly down to the fact that Liverpool, Chelsea and even Spurs had pretty poor runs this season. As as Chelsea and Liverpool certainly return to where you'd expect to find them, it comes at the expense of Leicester, which isn't necessarily their fault. No. Um, so in answer to your question, fraud. Massive yeah. fraud. <laughs> <Get him out. laughs> until next week when we'll answer that question yeah, until again. next week. <laughs> yeah. uh, Rogers dropped uh, James Madison, Iose Perez and Hamza Chowdhury for this game after they uh, they all reportedly breached COVID rules by attending a house party last week. Uh, Joel, do you think his hardline stance was the right call or, or might he live to regret that one? Well, in a way, it cost him you know, lost the game. So, you know, I think the Leicester fans might be looking at that and thinking, you know, I wish you sort of turned a blind eye. But you know, it's hats off to, to Rodgers and hats off to the club for, for doing what they did because, you know, they've, they've proven there that they're not standing for anything and they need to set an example. And I think they should be applauded for that. And, you know, OK, you know, they have lost the game and it, it might affect them in the Champions if they lose. But, you know, if they miss out by two points or you know, three points, then you can point back to this to this weekend and go, you know, this is where he lost it. But... I think they have, to, they have to make a point and, and, and make a statement against these players that have you know, broken rules while, while a lot of people from around the world can't do what they want to do and go see families and, and, and you know see, spend time with their mates. And the, these footballers pretty much have been able to live their normal lives to an extent. And I think that's been a bit, a bit harsh because, again, they're going to train and going home. And But, you know, they, they've pretty much to an extent been able to go about their business at work and... Um, Pretty normally compared to everyone else, yeah. um, and I, I do think that's you know let's take that into consideration. The footballers are, are still can't do anything like everyone else. They still can't go go and you know well drink and things mm-hmm. that kind of thing and enjoy themselves. But I, I think that they shouldn't be breaking rules. They should be setting an example themselves. You know, like the rest of us. And I, I think that's the right thing. And but I think in terms of sort of talking about Rogers being a fraud. They've got Madison will come back in next week, and Perez will come back in, and they've got Ian Nacho. You know, suddenly found a purple patch of form at the right time. I, I, I think it's going to be between them and West Ham to be honest for the top four, flat, flat final, fourth place. And I, but if from a local point of view, I would be sort of trying to match Leicester's results until after those final three games. And if Leicester don't get away from them in the final before, you know, the Spurs and, and um, it was United and Chelsea, wasn't it, the last three? Mm. Um, if they don't get away by then, then you know, they'll, be, they'll be there for the taking then, I think. But if Leicester pull away from now between the final three, then they'll, they'll get top four, I'd say. Yeah. If I was a Premier League manager, I'd be trying to win every game between now and the end of the season, I think. That would be, be my strategy, just... Try and win, basically, yeah. Try and score more goals than the other team and then yeah. see what... See what You're onto something there. Yeah, well, yeah that'll do. Managerial genius, yeah. <laughs> uh, Arsenal got their first win in five matches when they won 3-0 against Sheffield United on Sunday night. Uh, Gabriel Martinelli made his return from injury and scored his first goal since January 2020 in this game. Uh, Matt, do you think the hype around him is justified? Um, I wouldn't say it's justified at the moment because he hasn't produced uh, enough, really, but... It could be. I think he is a really, really good player. I think it was... I know he got injured. Was it 
last season he started having injury worries, or maybe the season before. His first season at Arsenal, he got 10 goals in all competitions at 18 years old. And I just thought, you know, that's actually not too bad. And he showed real glimpses. Um, my worry for him is that, is he going to get the opportunities? That's just sort of the problem, really, because as you've kind of seen, uh, uh, certainly towards the top of the Premier League, it's a big fight for the Champions League places. You have to be on the money every single week, and it's not necessarily the breeding ground to sort of trial some youngsters in the starting lineup. Um, and it all too often leads leads to kind of them being blamed, you know, when things aren't going so well. I think I'm trying to think now of of a young forward who's been given the chance, aside from Mason Greenwood, and even then, I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's dealt with him really well and sort of having him in and out of the team. Um, so yeah, it's going to be difficult for him to show it. Um, to be honest, even if Arsenal were to sell Lacazette or um, you know, get rid of William as well. There's still so many players ahead of him that it's going to be a tough one. But I do think he's certainly a good talent. I mean, yeah, there's nothing to suggest otherwise. He's very lively in this game, indeed. Uh, I mean, yeah. one of the players ahead of him is, is Aubameyang. He was out uh, with flu for this game. Lacazette, captain of the side, uh, and scored twice in his absence. Joel, given Aubameyang hasn't been in great form lately, do you think he walked straight back into the team when fit? It's, it's a tough one because I'm, I'm not sure how... You can sort of bench your highest paid player and, and captain for the rest of the season, but you know, we can argue on, on the evidence of Sunday that they might just work a little better with Ultimate at the moment in, in this form. But I think the longer term picture has a Bembiang up top, I feel. Um, I think in, in the summer they, may, they might get rid of Lacazette and um, we'll see what happens with Eddie Nicotera as well. Um, and I think this, but Bembiang likes to play off the left, but I think at some point he'll go back down the middle and, and they sort of build a team around that and Saka, Smith, Rowe, and Odegaard can, can play off him if they manage to keep Odegaard on loan again or would even bring him in permanently. But um, I, I think for the rest of this season, Arthur's got a question to answer there and a decision to make. And I, and I think, I, I think his, his place is under threat. Especially, you know, if Saka comes back in and, and decides to play him off the left and, and or whatever, or, or Smith Rowe plays off the left, I think Arsenal might work a little better without him, without Aubameyang in, in the starting eleven right now because he, he just isn't doesn't seem to be clicking. And I, I know he scored sort of you know five and five before you know the Liverpool game, and he was kind of in a bit of form, but I, I don't think Arsenal, you know, they don't look like they work. The eye test to me, they work as well with him in the team. Um, so you know, I won't be surprised if you know come Thursday night if he has recovered from you know the um, the flu that he's he's actually on the bench. We'll have to see. We'll see. Yeah, uh, Kieran Tenney won't be on the bench because he's out for the rest of the season. Um, Arteta played Granite Xhaka at left back for this one. Do you think that's a, a good solution for Arsenal, Matt? Um, not necessarily in the long run. Um, <laughs> and it, you know, he's he's definitely not a left back. I always find it weird as. If you just took a random central midfielder who was right-footed, you wouldn't just be like, yeah, he could probably play right now. <laughs> but when it comes to a left-footer, yeah. I always think of like Gareth Barry, where you go, yeah, yeah, yeah he could yeah, probably yeah. play left-back. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such a weird thing. Um, no, I don't think this is uh, necessarily a great idea. I was looking um, at that tactical analysis from our very own Lewis oh. um, about how he was left-back, but also sort of left-centre-back as well. Um I don't think, I think, sorry, the quality of opposition may have played on Arteta's mind that maybe you can get away with it against Sheffield <laughs> yeah. United. 
Um, but yeah, if he was going into a you know a top six clash or a, or a big sort of Europa League game further down the line, I'm not so sure. Yeah, me neither. But yeah, he did, he did an okay job here. Mm. I suppose the, the pre-match talk was all about Saka playing left back, and uh, I suppose that is it. That is an option, isn't it? But uh, you want him further up the pitch, don't you? Really, because he's, yeah. he's so yeah. dynamic up there. Yeah. Uh, Newcastle gave their survival hopes a major boost when they came from behind to win away at Burnley on Sunday. So that's two encouraging results in a row for the Magpies. Um, Joel, do we owe Steve Bruce any credit for their upturning form, or do you reckon they got these results in spite of him? I, I think they'll have to. I definitely think they'll have to. Um, but you know he, he did have two trump cards we have to bench in the on 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 Sunday with with Callum Wilson and um, Alan St Maximan and I, I think they were they were awful before that and I think they come on the just before the hour mark and they were they were dreadful they were absolutely dreadful before that for some reason they were sticking crosses into the box against Burnley um, for Joe Linton who isn't very good with his head to try and you know, score a header against Ben Mee and James Tarkowski and Burnley was were laughing at that to be honest they were clearing up everything um, and until they they, people in the head as well weren't they well, oh they love that yeah, which yeah. Oh, what a decision that was by the way fantastic decision um, but no I, I, think they, I think they did get him in spite of him and I guess if Newcastle stay up then Steve Bruce has done his job but this just seems like they're flogging a, you know, a, you know, a dead horse for a long time and, and I think if they might say up now, and but if they do, I think it's down to sort of the individual brilliance of Saint Maximan and, and sort of the finishing ability of Wilson. Because I'm pretty sure Callum Wilson's got something to say between now and the end of the season as well. Yeah, yeah Saint Maximan was brilliant, lovely, lovely. Uh, I think he got the assist for the first goal, didn't he? And then yeah, lovely, lovely goal uh, for the second. Mm. Uh, what do you think the future holds for him, Matt? Do you think he's going to stay at Newcastle, or do you think uh, you know other clubs should be sniffing around him this summer? Um, I think he's probably worth a punt for a bigger team. Mm. Uh, my worry is, as always, when it comes to um, sort of players in the lower reach of the Premier League, is that clubs just want so much money for them. Yeah. It's the reason why Jack Grealish hasn't left yet. The reason why Wilfred Zahar hasn't left yet is that, you know, picking up a player from a team that, you know, you could see Newcastle finishing 17th. Um, picking up a player from them when you're in the top six or top eight, you don't want it to cost you sixty million yeah. <laughs> just for a punt on a player who's had half a decent season. So you'd think I think he's worth it. Um, I'm just not really sure that when everyone charges these ridiculous prices, that he will actually move. Um, unless it's yeah, unless it's abroad. I think the problem is though he's definitely an impact player. I mean, him coming off the bench and doing that just sort of sums him up because you don't really see him do it too often from the start. That's true, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that uh, penalty, non-penalty decision then, Joel. So um, James Tarkovsky kicked Sean Longstaff in the head, essentially. Um, I guess my issue with this one is how did Liam Cooper get sent off for Leeds on Saturday, but this one wasn't even considered a foul? <laughs> it's, it was wild, wasn't it? I mean, I, I'm not sure about you, but I've never been able to go out on the football pitch and, and kick someone in the head and get away with it. Um, <laughs> I've tried so many we've... times, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, actually. <laughs> Um, I, just, I just, I just. To, to be fair, when it happened in real time, you know, I, I wasn't quite sure whether he'd, 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 play, um, he'd actually got the ball and I could just kick the ball away from Zed. And obviously, on second look and all the replays afterwards, it shows, you know, how bizarre it was to think that because it, it's, it's, it's really dangerous. <laughs> you see a lot of players getting concussion in, in these kind of incidents, and for, for the. From sort of VR, have the ability to look at that and, and not, 
you know, sort of give the referee a second, you know, second thought, and or even just to overrule completely and say that you know, that is a foul, is a penalty, and I, I just don't, I just don't understand it. It's it's horrendous, and, and like you said, there you refer to the Cooper incidents. The, the both red cards, the, yeah. the the both dangerous acts of play, to be honest, and, and that the one of Burnley completely, and uh, yet yeah, still days later cannot understand what you know what the decision was, to be honest. Well, the official explanation from from Pig Mole was uh, Tarkovsky has played the ball first, and then Longstaff has stooped and put his head into that area. Ah, ah, just absolute bollocks, isn't it? it that, they're just trying to cover the tracks, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, that's a classic yeah. example of them just making something up to to sort of fit with the decision that's been made, basically, isn't it? Just say anything, and people will just go, "Oh, okay." But uh, no, we're not buying it on the One Football Podcast. We don't believe you. <laughs> uh, West Brom made it two wins on the bounce when they beat Southampton 3-0 on Monday night. Uh, Matt, they're still eight points from safety, but would you say West Brom are possibly a bigger threat to Newcastle than Fulham now in terms of survival? Oh, yeah, that was kind of goes against everything that Fulham have been doing recently, <laughs> and then they sort of fell off. So, yeah, you'd probably say so on current form. I still think they're just, I think it's just a little bit too late. Um, Southampton have been, you know, terrible the second half of the season, um, and obviously it's a shock victory away at Chelsea. So there's some positive signs. Ah, yeah, I just think it's just a little bit. <laughs> Allardyce said their form has, has pricked up a few ears, which I thought was a lovely way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we're talking about it, so obviously yeah. it has. <laughs> um, my, yeah. my ears do feel pricked. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you can always rely on big sub. Big Sam to sum up the mood of the nation, can't you? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure they're going to make it, to be honest. No, nah, me neither. Um, there was some VAR controversy in this game as well, Joel. Any idea what the hell happened there? Yeah, well, <laughs> Diagne, Mbay Diagne scores. He puts the ball in um, after sort of ball goes across goal. And then they, they, they rule it out because you know, they, they judge uh, the lines and risk initially rules out because he just Kyle Bartley to be offside. And if, on second look, you know you can see they get the lines out as they, they love to do, and you can see Bartley's offside, but Diagne looks nowhere near offside. And the official explanation, as you sort of refer to the Burnley game, the explanation was that they couldn't find the right camera angle to um, <laughs> judge whether Diagne's upper body was offside or onside or not. So they, they said they stuck with the linesman's original decision, which oh, I guess we're allowed to do that now, are we? Well, yeah, which oh, right, okay. you know maybe is quite fair in a way. But that's not confusing at all, though, is it? No, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, it's it's and you can find any camera angle. It's clear to the agonies are not offside, and um, his, his feet are nowhere near offside. And you know they, they can't see his little arms there or whatever, which he'd love to do. <laughs> and it, what I sort of referred to earlier on is that they, they're just looking for any uh, to anything to rule out goals and, and mm. stop fun and suck the fun out of the game. And <laughs> and he did that. And, and frankly, for West Brom, it wasn't that vital. I mean, it could have been. Um, it, you know, West Brom did end up drawing that game nil nil. Um, and that goal gets ruled out, then you know they probably they are completely down and they've got no hope. And you know, thankfully for them, they, they did come back and, and score goals, and and they they found themselves right back into the picture. But again, that could have been really costly, and it, it's just a stupid decision. A decision probably didn't need to be made either. Yeah, well, thankfully for them, it was a really poor performance from Southampton as well. Uh, Matt, do you reckon this could be the earliest recorded example of a Premier League team being on the beach? Or maybe they spent Monday afternoon in a pub beer garden enjoying the sunshine. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's um, it's not looking so great to be honest. I think they had a buffer from earlier in the season. Otherwise, mm. they you know they'd be in a bit of a trouble. Well, they were top of the league at one point, weren't they? So yeah, exactly. If it weren't for that, so, they'd probably be down by now. Yeah. 
I think I think maybe they planned it. They said, you know what, we're going to have an extra break, so we'll just play really hard for the first few months, <laughs> and then we'll just sack it off for the rest of the season. It's like an extreme version of the Brandon Rogers approach, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, Fulham survival hopes were dealt a huge blow when they were beaten in the last minute by Wolves on Friday night. Uh, that's now four straight defeats for Fulham. They've got the worst shot conversion in the league. Um, some of their players were in tears at the end, and they're now six points behind Newcastle, having played a game more. Uh, it's game over, isn't it, Matt? You think? Ah. Uh, yeah, you'd probably think so. And even though, you know, there's obviously still quite a few points to play for and they're not that far behind. And, you know, despite the fact they beat Burnley, there's no sign of Newcastle pulling away just yet. It really is difficult because I feel like Fulham can so easily revert to type. You know, they can go on a good run of form or they can have a positive result and you think, this is it, they're going to kickstart, they're going to get out of it. Mm. And then they so easily put in an absolute pony performance <laughs> and like they did against Wolves or someone else and you just think, oh, for God's sakes, you you were onto something there. Yeah. Um, and they just they keep shooting themselves in the foot. And I think, like you said, that conversion rate is, is if you're going to shoot yourself in the foot with anything, don't let it be that because that is... Well, they would mess for a start, quite clearly the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Adam Otoyore netted the winner with an emphatic uh, late strike in this game that ends a run of 48 Premier League games without a goal for him um, Joel there's been a lot of talk about whether Trent Alexander-Arnold should be a midfielder uh, instead of a fullback but do you think Traore perhaps should be a fullback instead of a, a winger would, would be better as a sort of attacking wingback where there's not so much goal emphasis on him but he is getting up and down that wing and you know I wouldn't fancy trying to dribble past him put it that way no, you know, I think that's a very good shout. And I think in the way the Wolves play, in terms of, you know, they have three at the back and, and they play with two wing-backs. And I, I guess there's scope for him to, to do that, to be honest, because, you know, obviously we'll have to be a bit defending, but, you know, there, there is sort of, he can't be sort of let off the shackles a little bit because he can get forward and, and he knows he's got three three defenders behind him. Mm. Um, I think, but I think Nuno Espirito Santo has not really done it um, in his time there because I'm not sure he trusts him completely, you know, going back in, in defence, to be honest. And that's why we've not seen it. But I, I think there's potential there. And he, he has sort of tried him out in a new position in recent weeks. He's played him off the left and, and come inside on his right foot while Neto's gone on the other side. And, and, and he's looked a bit more effective do, doing that um, rather than just, you know, because we know what Traore is going to do when he's playing on the right. He is just going to try and run you to the touchline and, and probably beat you because he's the fastest and also he's greased up. Um, <laughs> so you've got no chance of catching up with him. Um, but he, he's been a bit more effective in terms of numbers since moving to the left and, you know, get, you know gets the goal on, on Friday as well. But, you know, I think there is something there playing right wing back. And, I would, you know, maybe Nuno should try that in pre-season and see how it goes. Yeah, if you listen to Nuno, give it a go. What's the worst yeah, that can happen? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we've covered the VAR angle of the weekend about 10 times over already. Uh, let's talk about William Jose, Matt. Uh, he was unlucky to have his goal ruled out here for a really contentious offside. But he's now played 13 games for Wolves without scoring. Uh, do you think he's shown enough quality with out, uh, despite that or is it just not worked out at all for him I'm not sure it, it, it's worked out to be honest and I think the fact that Nuno Espero Santo is making so many changes especially to the attacking line with the likes of Adama Traore showing that he's a bit desperate to figure something out mm-hmm. you know the, the link up between um, Traore and Jimenez for example was really really good um, they went through a really good purple patch at the beginning of this season and William Hose is not really He's not really brought the style to the team. And, and I think there's there's a case to be made, and Olivier Giroud is the pioneer of this, <laughs> of not bringing many goals, but being so crucial to the team. Mm. 
and the way that they play. Um, and I think Jimenez did both for Wolves. He was brilliant in how they played and he brought the goals. And William Jose was brought in to do that. And even if he didn't score too many, you could say, yeah, well, he's helping everyone else, but he's not really helping everyone else either. <laughs> I think that, I think the whole team, the whole team has really struggled for goals, for wins. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's kind of been evident in, when you have a striker who hasn't scored in 13 games, it doesn't exactly bode well for the rest of the team. And you, really, you would yeah. straight off of the bat seeing that fact that you'd assume that the rest of the team haven't done too well either. Mm. Um, is, it's a loan, isn't it? So yeah, I wouldn't, obviously it depends on him and his returning, but I wouldn't necessarily see them making that a permanent one because I think Fabio Silva's also come quite good in recent yeah, weeks. So true, maybe true, he'll yeah. get more of a run. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, we'll finish with Monday night, Monday night's game at the Amex, which finished uh, Brighton nil, Everton nil. Uh, Joel, I've got a bone to pick with you about this one. You did the match report for this game, and you wrote uh, Brighton <laughs> had the best chances of a tightly fought contest with East Basuma's bicycle kick hitting the roof of the net in the first half. Now, my initial instinct was to call you out on this and say, surely the ball has to go in the net, <laughs> the roof of the net. But then, when I thought about it, what you wrote was correct, really, wasn't it? Because when a shot goes in, we should in fact say it hit the ceiling of the net, not the roof of the net. Exactly, the roof. The roof of your house is inside, is yeah. it? You know what I mean? It's like that. Uh, oh that, God! That, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like that Pharrell Williams lyric: um, "Clap along if you feel like a room without a roof." Rooms don't have roofs, Pharrell. They have I ceilings. That's exactly what I was room. thinking of when I wrote it. To I be honest, you yeah. Would be, yeah, yeah. Oh my God! <laughs> you have way too much time in the newsroom. <laughs> you can see our Slack channel, mate. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, let's correctly, uh, you know, let, let, let's let's permanently change. Uh, I thought you were going to call me out on, on whether it's a bicycle kick or not, then, or whether it's an overhead kick. Oh, I don't yeah. care about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That, that one's there. We're never going to settle that one. Um, anyway, Matt, uh, to sum up, Brighton are staying up, Everton are finish, finishing eighth. Does that sound about right to you? Um, yeah, that sounds about right. I just, again, in my eternal pessimism, I just like to point out that Everton haven't won in five games now. Mm. Um, and they play Tottenham on Friday night. So look forward to that one, Everton fans. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> There's a win coming your way there. Uh, well, yeah. that's all we've got time for on this episode of the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast. Thanks to Matt and Joel for their great chats and good vibes as always. Uh, Angelina Kelly is back with the women's football show later this week and then Joanna Bueno will also be talking all things Champions League on Thursday. Uh, we'll be back on this show next Tuesday, so we'll catch you there. stuff lads thank you very much Cheers, could, I, excellent. could I hear like the faint sound of like opera singing at some point I was just about to bring that up I didn't know the but is that really from your end Matt because yeah. you picked that up actually no what it is I've got my upstairs neighbour um, just randomly practices opera singing every, like, every so often oh cool um, uh, it's really bizarre. I didn't know you could hear that, but I was trying my best trying to cover sound. I'm not sure what it could do. I could hear it very faintly, and I was like, is that real or am I imagining this? I'm not sure, so I didn't want to say <laughs> oh, anything. Oh, no. Oh, no. It happens. It's a fucking when it wakes you up. Yeah, but, um, that, yeah. Is Joel just playing the Champions League theme tune over and over again? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to win, hyped. Matt, so badly. <laughs>